With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello! And welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Yeah. Uh, Nick isn't actually in Berlin. He didn't just shout from Berlin there with hello. <laughs> we are just enjoying all the action um, in Germany over the last week. And it's one of the highlights of the snooker calendar. We said a few times um, and it didn't disappoint. Good week, wasn't it? Really good week. Yeah, very much so. And uh, a really, really good winner, Phil. A player that has having another outstanding campaign. We have to say Judd Trump, just hats off. I mean, what he's doing is, is brilliant. What him and Ronnie O'Sullivan are doing is brilliant. Eight out of 14 events now won by that pair. Judd winning his fourth uh, ranking tournament of the season, beating Siege Y 10-5 in the German uh, Masters final. As you say, really was a good week in Berlin and crowned by Another judge success, three in the 20s now. I mean, even what he's doing in Berlin itself is special, Phil, let alone anything else he's doing. And a 27th ranking event success. Uh, we've just been discussing off the head that I was getting a little bit of a, a grief today on, on Twitter for, for, for saying that uh, Judd, just factually saying that, 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 that Judd is now one behind Steve Davis in the all-time table. Well, it's Ronnie O'Sullivan, 41, Stephen Hendry, 36, John Higgins, 31, Steve Davis, 28, and Judd Trump, 27. I mean, look, I don't think it's a perfect list. You know, back in the day, events weren't ranking events always when Steve won them. Of course, it's not perfect. In some ways, there aren't many lists in snooker that are perfect. You know, some people will say, well, put up a list of triple crown events. I think, well, if you do that, people will say, well, we didn't always refer it, quite rightly, didn't always refer it to them as triple crown events. That's not perfect. So. It's, you know, there are imperfections with, with, with anything you put up like that. But I still say very much worth recording, Phil. And it's, it's a towering achievement in the game. And again, I was saying to people, well, you know, I'm the journalist early this season that question judge record in the, in the very biggest event, suggesting, you know, 
he might not be an all-time great until he wins more of those. So, you know, I don't think many people have questioned Judd's record more than me, frankly. But putting that aside, there's nothing that me or anyone else can say apart from this is just absolutely brilliant. 27 ranking events for this season. He's a colossus of the game. And I think his relentlessness is perhaps the most impressive thing of all this season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, It's so hard to just keep going. All over the world as well. He obviously had that spell where he was jumping from Brentwood to Wuhan to Belfast to win those three. Uh, now he ticks off one in Berlin as well. Um, and, yeah, I mean, some people are... He's never too far away from criticism, is he, for such an amazing player and a good sort of ambassador for the sport and everything, I think. Um, he's not had the toughest opponents in those finals, but, you know, this run in Germany, we'll get through it, but just to get to the, the semis to beat Selt, Tepchire and then Higgins... It's not easy uh, for a best of nines. That's a tricky little run there. Matthew Stevens before that as well. Um, so, yeah, to you know, he, he's got to the finals against people you might not expect because the people you would expect have lost those kind of matches early. And he just hasn't been doing that. He's been winning so much, knocking in so many centuries. He's scored something like 30 more centuries than anyone else this season, which is just ridiculous. Um, yeah, and... He's doing it not always at his peak. I think the Tech Chai match, he was really at his peak. It was amazing. Um, then sort of goes up and down, obviously, as he will over tournaments and over seasons. But he's got that aura back, hasn't he? I think the, the one that O'Sullivan certainly got at the minute and Jude had a few years ago. Um, people know they're in big trouble when they've got Judd Trump in the draw and they, they struggle to perform against him. And uh, as we said before on this, anyone who has that aura again about them has earned it from the men being brilliant. So, yeah, no, brilliant stuff from Judd. Um, yeah, for just very, very impressive. And it will come down to how he gets on at the end of the season, but unquestionably, it's been a great season so far. Do you know what I was thinking? Um, loads of things always flashing. Although I quite like the instant reaction ones, I have to say, something about a Monday, but we do them this one often late on Monday. I do think that's quite useful. Funny enough, I was listening to... Sport absolutely adore following now, certainly this time of year, the NFL. One of the pods I was listening to, they didn't do it till Wednesday or Thursday of the week after a Sunday game. And they were saying they really like the extra time because uh, I don't think we are big knee-jerk characters, <laughs> hopefully me and you, but sometimes you can little, be a little bit caught up in the emotion. This is the best thing ever. Or what's he doing? You know, sometimes emotion can be heightened after those Sunday matches. But I like you know the chance to reflect. And one of the things I was thinking today was, that, of course, Hector Nunns would have been the one to... Um, send the email around. I guess it would be Shane McDermott, would it now, uh, to do so and say, who is your player of the season? It's often conditional on the World Championship, isn't it? But I'm thinking, it bloody well is this time. You know, unless they both go early, it's totally conditional on that. I mean, you'd have to say it's morning because of the, the events. He's one of the bigger events. But, you know, if either of them win the Crucible, it's that player, you know, because they both both had outstanding seasons. And you know, just 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 immense immense credit, really. I have I know what you mean about about Judd and him creating perhaps more debate than most. I, I think Gary Moss, friend of ours, great judge of the game, was saying, you know, that same thing. And why don't we just, you know, look at these top top players as doing things their own way? And I get that, but I also think the reason Judd creates perhaps more debate than most is because I. I want him to be corrected, but I can't think of a player that's been like him, i.e. won that much, but not the very biggest ones. I, I can't think of a player like that. 
you know, you, you think of people like Selby, the equivalents, Rob Robertson, maybe he probably could have done more than the very biggest ones as well in terms of numbers. And again, you know, they're incredible snooker players, don't get me wrong, but that's the reason that Judge discussed, I think. You know, I don't hear discussions about Selby. He's won four world titles. I never hear any quibbles or, um, you know, about that. Higgins, similar, Mark Williams. But Judd is just putting an extraordinary number of titles on the board. But in the view of many, of, of many in the game, not everyone, not enough of those very big ones. It's really unusual. It's an unusual record. That's fine. He's still doing brilliantly. Of course he is. But th there is nuance with Judd, you know, and... Listen, I'd love nothing more than for him to win one of the very biggest ones again and soon because his talent would justify that. But in saying all that, it's still brilliant to win the German Masters. And as you say, yeah, yeah I can't really get behind that thing. Oh, he, he, he's had, I've heard, I've seen a bit of that. He's had nice runs. I mean, to win four events, you know, in a season, it, it, it's just a brilliant effort. As you say, he beats some good players. It, this week, no doubt about it. And well, the final, I think he was heavy favourite for, wasn't he? Frankly, Phil against C. Dry here. It would have been a surprise. We do see them, of course, had he been beaten. He was always in charge of it. And he was 5 2 ahead. Then C won the last frame of the first session and the first frame of the second session, the latter with a break of 1 2 3. So it was only 5 4 to Judd then. Then he put his foot down and pulled away. Breaks of 1 1 3, 108, and 74 for an 8-4 lead at the interval. C pulled one frame back, but uh, Trump soon sealed the deal. Breaks of 66 and 81 for a 10-5 victory. And I've seen a few people say sort of, oh, another boring final, which is over the top. But I I do feel sort of barnstorm. We've left the barnstormer behind, if I can chuck that word out, Phil, for a while. We haven't, we have, I think Dave Hendon said, didn't he, like, when we joined us at Christmas, we had one decider the whole of last year in finals, which I found sort of amazing. But now you think about it, we could really do with a sort of absolutely classic final. I love the Masters final, and I think Ronnie and Job was great. They're still top, but we, we are seeing a few one-sided ones. I know we've been spoiled over the years, but it'd be great to get, you know, the next sort of two or three to have real, real, real belters. This wasn't one of those. It was Judd really from the start looking like the winner. And uh, But must say, see, try here, what a big breakthrough, Phil. That's important to say that, isn't it? He did so well at that Crucible last year. Didn't really build on that so far this season, but he really has done it now. This is a really, really good run for him. He did himself great credit, got to a big final. He'll learn loads. But in terms of the matchup on Sunday, it was as one-sided as I think most of us would have said with that kind of winning margin of 10 5 eight. Yeah, maybe. I think the C, because um, I mean, we know about him because of the Crucible and what he's and elsewhere we've seen him, but... Um, we haven't seen him in that situation before, and there was there was certainly the possibility that he could have absolutely flown. Um, it was sort of hard to predict, but um, yeah, obviously Trump was favourite, uh, and he he it wasn't a classic final, but it was it was a very very good performance in Trump because um, C yeah C came out after the first frame of the second session and made a very good century to go five four, and then that looked really like it was game on, uh, and Trump responded with back to back tons of his own, and C did pot a ball for ages. Um, and yeah, it was just really sort of um, putting him back in his place after he made it close and very dominant stuff. And Judd had spoken before after the semi final that he said it was strange playing someone so young. And you know he's now in the position of the elder statesman when he played matches like this. And so for him to sort of 
uh, dominate it, and that's really what he did. He was he was very very good. Um, but yeah, I don't think you can. Even though the sand was excellent, you can't really have ten five as a classic final. But yeah, no, really good from C. Um, the quarterfinals onwards, he really was looking extremely good. Comfortable wins over Ryan Day and Kyron Wilson. That is very impressive. Um, and yeah, it's good because he's been he's not been disastrous since the Worlds, but you wouldn't say he's replicated what he was doing there by any stretch. Um, but he did last week in Berlin. Um, 21 he's, he's certainly one of the, the bright young stars in the game and he's just that he's, he seems like an absolute textbook extremely talented but young and slightly naive player made a few odd shot choices um just dipped in concentration at inopportune times and it all just looked like he just doesn't have the experience yet but he's got all the talent in the world and i really do think he's going to do big things um it's just a matter of time um but yeah great week for him yeah, I mean, I agree with all that. You said it so well, as you so often do. I mean, uh, fair enough, a few people were sort of challenged when I said about the that semi-final last year being one of the most brutal losses I can remember. I think they were saying it because of his age and like, well, when you're that young, what do you kind of expect? And But I think I'm going to stick to my guns there. That was such an enormous lead. I mean, I don't think it really matters what age you are in a way. Was it 14-5? I mean, good heavens. I mean, to to, to be that far ahead, first to 17 and not win it is I, I just don't think it matters your age really I think that's just savage and but of course you know all those cliches about you know you learn more about those bitter ones those defeats and you sometimes do from the victories you know he'll garner that of course I'm sure he already has and this would be another you know disappoint disappointing moment to lose in the final of course but you know, he, he really has made big progress this week and, you know, it was good to see, you know, such a talented young player uh, sort of get, get that far in a, in a really high-profile event as well in front of a big crowd. So, you know, he's really sort of proved himself in that sort of, you know, febrile kind of atmosphere, which is great as well. Phil, let's look back at some of the earlier stories then. Look back at um, day one, feels like quite a long time ago now, that Marco Fu beat Mark Selby 5-1. Great win for Marco. Uh, Neil Robertson, now we talk a bit about Neil, he... Uh, beat Sanderson Lamb 5-1, the first of a few good showings from him, uh, but no good showing again from world champion Luca Purcell, beaten 5-2 by Ishpreet Singh Chadda. Uh, day two, I noticed you pointed out a very good record for Jordan Brown over David Gilbert. That continued. Jordan won that 5-2. Hager Quang beat Mark Williams 5-1, breaks of 1-2-1, 64-102. I messaged you earlier saying, was Mark unwell? I didn't really follow it that day, but not, not at all. I don't think just a very good performance. And then Neil Robertson beating Jimmy Robertson, again, another good performance, 5-0. Breaks of 87, 78, 135 and 86 from Neil. And I have to highlight the quotes. They were doing the rounds. Brilliant quotes. I want, this is from Neil, I want the worst for my opponent on the table. I need to get back to being brutal and burying opponents. There are no more happy, smiley handshakes anymore. Away from the table, fine. But on the table, I want them to suffer. So Neil really... Uh, speaking the sort of language I think you want to see from a player like him, actually. Again, a few people quibbling with that, um, you know, saying that they thought it was a bit much. But, uh, you know, I, I'd say I'd say not. I'd say that's the, nothing wrong with that particularly from, from my point of view. Day three, a couple from that day, Mark Davis beating Barry Hawkins 5-1, thumping win for Mark. And then a match that was garnering a fair bit of attention, Zeus beating Graham Dot 5-4. Dot uh, was 4-3 up in that. Zeus came back for a notable uh, victory in the decider 
but yeah, maybe a word from, from you of some of those matches, Phil. I'm sure maybe some others you might want to highlight. Loads going on as ever in these, you know, multi-player events in the opening days. But those quotes from Neil, I mean, I said, you know, I know we don't don't always like to mention the Tony Mio trophy. Um, I prefer it when we don't mention it, frankly. But I was thinking if I started talking like that, you'd be a bit shocked, wouldn't you? I want to, you know, if, if I replace things like my opponent with Phil, I, I want the worst for Phil on the table. I need to get back to being brutal and burying Phil. There are no more happy, smiley handshakes anymore. Away from the table, fine. But on the table, in the Tony Mio trophy, I want him to suffer. You'd be shocked, wouldn't you? Uh, I'd be surprised, yeah. It would be a changing <laughs> character, for sure. <laughs> but I agree with you. It's, I, I don't mind hearing that at all from uh, sports people. Um, it's, it was quite sort of... You know, it was in keeping. You wouldn't you wouldn't be surprised to hear other Australian sports people saying things like that. Yeah. Uh, and I like that attitude. Yeah, you know, that's that. Sh- I, I don't think I don't think during his sort of lean spell, it's because he's been thinking, "Oh, I don't mind if I lose." Um, but it's good to sort of re-establish that attitude of it's win at all costs. Um, and he was looking good, definitely early on. Um, some thumping wins, big breaks. Um, it's just confidence, really. He, he never sounds like he's lacking confidence, but he definitely is a problem because nothing technically wrong with it. I don't, I don't think with his game. Um, so yeah, I'm sure that it'll, it'll. It's it was encouraging signs for Robertson fans on his road to recovery. Um, but yeah, you mentioned hey, hey, I think it's uh, Guachang, but I mean all our Chinese pronunciations would be terrible. But I think it's something like that. But um, he's been very impressive on his first season on tour. Uh, that was a great win over Williams, and he's beaten he's beaten Kyron Vafai. Ryan Day, Hawkins, beating Slessor twice, all his first season on tour. Uh, now, a big win over Mark Williams, a couple of tons in there as well. So, yeah, very impressive. He's shot up the rankings. Um, and unless unless it really drops off in his second season, um, I don't think he'll have a problem staying on tour. So, yeah, very good stuff from him. Um, Julian Leclerc, I was following a bit. Um, he's another excellent young player to watch. And he had a couple of good wins um, getting through to the last 16. Um, but yeah, after Jordan Brown beat Gilbert, Leclerc five, Brown one was an excellent result for the young Belgian beast. Uh, very impressive there. Um, I forgot what day we're on here really, but um, I'm up to, did we mention Marco having to pull out with the eye problems against Harvey Davis? No, we didn't. That's a real shame, isn't it? He was three, yeah. one down and people, people were funny enough. I, I didn't watch it, but I saw people messaging on social media that Marco said he'd be playing some really weird, funny shots and just not, being engaged in t- at all in the match, then we obviously realised why. It was double vision, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And it's a real shame because he, he was excellent at Selby in the first round. Uh, and I think he might made a break to win the first round against Alfie Davis in that one, but obviously then kicked in. Um, he, he did a post on Instagram saying he'll be back stronger and uh, he didn't seem to think it was sort of a, a deep-lying issue. But he has had problems with the eyes before, so I really hope it's not um, because his game's obviously... Good to be beating Mark Selby 5 1. Uh, very impressive. Um, and then, yeah, if we carry on the Neil theme, um, he started very well against Kyron in his last 16 match. I think he won the first two there, looking strong Ooh. again. But um, Kyron's been playing well as well. He's made a load of big breaks uh, this season. Um, so 5 3 to Kyron Wilson there. So, yeah, encouraging stuff from Robertson. Um, not that he'll not be delighted with going out in the last sixteen, but um, yeah, it's signs of improvement. And the and the most signs for ages. I and mean, I saw people, some people say, "Oh, hang on, he's not beating world beaters here." But I think, well, he's beating good players. But more importantly, he's not been beating anybody. 
really. I mean, he's made so many first round exits or first or seconds. So, you know, I think it's, you know, there's no question that this was his best showing for some time. Yeah, those last 16 results in, as we sort of tend to do, pick it up from that stage. As you say, Kyron beat Neil Robertson 5-3. Uh, it was Julian Leclerc's run coming to an end, beating, beating 5-2 by Ryan Day. Ali Carter 5, Zach Surti nil. John Higgins 5, Mark Allen 2, cracking win for Higgins. That reversed uh, the result from the Masters a few few weeks back, didn't it? C2I He 5, 1, Sijun 3. Ban Sengji, 5, Tom 4, 3, and Sam Craigie, 5, Zusa 4. And Judd Trump, who eventually won the tournament, beat Tetchaya and Nu 5, 2. And the big spin-off there for Judd was that was enough for him to pick up the 150,000 Bet Victor bonus. Into the last eight then, uh, Judd Trump winning again in a really big match, repeat of two previous world finals, beating John Higgins 5-2. Uh, actually, this was around a, a stage of really comfortable wins, actually. C. Dwyhe beating Ryan Day 5-1. Kyron uh, Wilson beating Fang Zengi 5-0. And Sam Craigie, who had a really, really good week, actually, we should say. Uh, we talk about his semi as well coming up. Obviously, he lost a job, but he did have a really good week. He beat Ali Carter 5-1. And, uh, yeah, there we are. Drinks on Judd Trump again, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the third time he's won that bet, Victor Bonus. So he's made an enormous amount of money just from that little spin-off. But yeah, incredible stuff. Um, yeah, you mentioned Craigie. He was sort of flying under the radar a bit before, but he had some really good wins because his second round win, yeah, he'd be favoured to beat Liam Pullen, but he knocked in a 1-4-2 in there. So he was obviously playing well. And then he he was the one to knock out Hey Guik Chan, and then he beat Xu Si, who'd been playing very well as well, with loads of big breaks. Uh, and then that 5-1 win over Carter... Uh, defending champion, Carter was looking pretty good, has been looking good for a while, um, and a load more big breaks from Craigie there. So he, he's long been a player that people have known all about his talent um, and only really sort of odd flashes of good results. Um, but he was excellent this last week, and he was speaking very encouragingly. So um might be some more deep runs for him to come because he's a very good player. Uh, but yeah, they were sort of... I mean, good standards, but slightly damp, squibby stuff in, in the quarterfinals, isn't it? Because 5-2 was as close as it got between uh, Trump and Higgins. Uh, no, I wouldn't call that one of the big stinging defeats that John's been suffering recently. Um, that You know, he lost to uh, uh, the best player in the tournament. Um, and Higgins had looked really good against Allen, I thought. So um, it's been a funny old season for him, but uh, he's, he's, he's not a million miles away by any stretch. And then into the semis, which again weren't the closest, really, were they? They weren't. Now I can't cope with any more singing defeats for John Higgins. Phil, it, it's hard, isn't it? You got, got to put those out. Of we can't have any of those for a while, please. Come on, it's a, it's a bit much. No, the semis were kind of one sided. I mean, Kyron started well against Cedro. He went two 0 up. I was having a check of the scores earlier. I saw quite a bit of that afternoon. Sea Storm back played really well. Breaks of 54, 90 and fifty five. I mean, Kyra's not had a top season, actually. This is a good good one for him. Um, but, uh, yes, he was a good winner getting himself into that, that first ranking final for him. And then in the night, a bit like the final, really, never really looked in doubt for Judd. 6-2 over Sam Craigie. Went 4-1 up. Uh, Craigie got one back, but Trump wrapped up victory with breaks of 75 and uh, 79. So we were set up with a final that um, was intriguing, I think. I mean, most finals are, but... For me, I always thought Judd was a you know a handy favourite really, and that that proved to be the case. Being C. Joy, he 
at 10-5. But uh, yeah, no, semi-final Saturday wasn't a, an absolute thriller, but you could, you'd have to admire C. He was, um, you know, really bang on it against Kyron there. Yeah, no, I did enjoy that game. Yeah, he was, he was very impressive. Won five on the spin. Takes some doing against anyone at that level, and Kyron especially there. Uh, so yeah, no, it was very, very good. And yeah, I mean, I, as I said before, I, I would obviously made Judd tr- favourite, but I did think it was going to be. I did sort of have hopes of it being a real sort of thriller, um, just because they're both so attacking, uh, and that you know they continued to be very attacking. But yeah. Didn't quite work out in the thrill stakes because the scoreline, but still enjoyable uh, and uh, really enjoyable tournament. Lots is unpredictable. Is the German Masters, isn't it? I know mm. Judd Trump winning is not unpredictable, mm. but <laughs> we got all sorts of odd results. Lots of big names falling early. You know, when Brussel and Selby and Murphy had gone before, some people would have even turned the tournament on, um, and then we got some interesting deep runs. So yeah, uh, really enjoyable. I love watching tournaments that. A unique look about them and look different yeah. to other things, and no more so than the temperature. And with all those tables in that sort of horseshoe shape around the main table, uh, it's yeah. It, a lot of people were sort of messaging uh, on, on social media saying it must be really distracting for the players, and maybe I don't know, but um, I, I, I love the setup to watch. Well, it's interesting you say that. I, I always think there's a lot of good stuff on Reddit actually. I was having a look at a forum on there, and people were sort of saying it's a venue that generally gets a lot of praise. But of course, Mark Allen doesn't like it, does he? He often says that the lights are, are, are interfering, he sees shadows on the table, and he puts it down to that setup. And I've actually had one or two people from the, you know, the, the more official wing of the game say that they're not quite as enamoured as, as most are. The vast majority are, let's be clear. And come the weekend, of course, a sort of storming atmosphere. And, it, you know, it's the fans that make it really so so passionate, aren't they, the German fans about the game. And so many, you know, friends of mine, are quite strong acquaintances, Phil. Some of them haven't quite made friendship yet, but they're on the way. They had a, a really good time over there. And uh, obviously it's a, just a wonderful city. And, yeah, there's something about the German. I always think it's a nice time of year as well, I think. It always sort of feels like, the, I mean, I don't know when you when you we class the business end. We're not too far away, I'd say. And you know, it just has a bit. Gonna say it has a bit of gravitas. The German, it just does with that venue. With you know, and going from to, from five to seven, I think it does make a difference. It always felt like it wasn't quite enough at five. It, I always felt like you get there, get get into it. Oh, it's gone. Seven. It, it. I noticed it. I really did notice it. Actually, those extra two days. And as you say, yeah. Familiar story that you get a big winner, but we did get a surprise finalist, um, surprise semi-finalist with Craigie, really, and as well, and, and lots of sort of nice results. It was a nice sort of balance of a tournament, and yeah, really enjoyable, you know, good coverage. Um, you know, didn't watch as much of it, watch as much of it in midweek, certainly as I, w- I would have liked. Um, I had one particular big big football trip day, but coming towards the weekend, really settled down and watched a fair bit of it again. So yeah. Successful tournament, Phil. The roadshow never stops rolling on, of course. So we've got Wales coming up next week. But um, yeah, this is. Um, I always think this run of sort of Masters. Then used to be one of the usually one of the ITV ones. German, the Welsh coming up that I love, and the, the other ITV, the players. I mean, so many parts of the season are great, but I think these four, five, six was events in a row at the moment are just absolutely brilliant for me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think probably the players onwards were in the business end, uh, probably for me just about, but we're very much approaching it. But from there on in, because that's when Murphy started playing really well last season, that was really felt like it was 
building towards the crucible crescendo, wasn't it? Um, so that's about that for me. But yeah, it's uh, there's there's a few, isn't there? There's a few little runs of tournaments that are amazing all se- over yeah. the season. This is definitely definitely one of them. Um, yeah, plenty to look forward to. A lot of really big stuff. And now's the time to be coming into form. I think it's almost, yeah. um, you know, the parts of the season feel so long ago. I was looking at Mark Selby record, um, and he was when he was at the semis of the European and then the final of the British. You know, that seems so long ago now. Yeah, um, and he's been pretty quiet in between that. But if he could, if he could burst into form at the at the Welsh and the players, and then onwards. His his mid season lull would be quickly forgotten. So um, yeah, it's going to get very interesting, and it, we'll start having odd conversations about has Trump been in too good a form this season to field <laughs> things like that. You know, it's a genuine conversation, but it sounds so weird whenever we talk about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's all to come. I was a young man when Shelby was doing all those things back in the autumn, Phil. That was so long ago. Yeah, you're right. These that's what we love about these seasons. So many sort of twists and turns. And we've seen another uh, top event in, in the German Masters. Uh, congratulations to everybody involved for putting the tournament on. Uh, we must thank you for that. And we say congratulations once again to Judd Trump, winning his fourth ranking tournament final of this brilliant season. And we should say you are listening here to Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. The Championship League is back, Phil. And... As you know, maybe as well as anybody, because you're the one that's normally the recipient of this comment, there are now more episodes of the Championship League in an average year than there are EastEnders. Yeah, I've I've heard that said before. I feel on this podcast I've heard it said before, but yeah, it's very much true. It's back. Um, it sort of flies under the radar for a bit, especially this non-ranking one, because, because of its non-ranking. But... We're not short of big names, though, are we? It's a star-studded cast this week. Really is, yeah. Very much so. John Higgins, Mark Selby, Neil Robertson, Kyron Wilson, uh, all in action today, Monday as we speak. And, uh, well, one result caught my eye. Selby, two, Higgins, three. Uh, Another uh, match in this episode that we're referring to that has been twice a world final, Phil. Those famous finals that were 10 years apart, weren't they? In 07 and 17. But yeah, loads of big, loads of big names, and uh, all happening in Leicester, and not just big hitters on the table. One of the biggest hitters in, in snooker journalism is going to be there as well, Phil Haig. <laughs> yeah, popping down tomorrow. Yeah, so tomorrow's in Tuesday, so second day of this first league that's on. Yeah, those those that string of big names tempted me in. Bad, bad news. You you froze there, but you're back. Sorry, sir. Oh, Say that last time again. Not sure where I got to, but yeah, no, heading down on Tuesday. So uh, hopefully plenty plenty of interesting stuff to come from me in uh, the days and weeks to come from that. Um, but yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, low-key event, but attracts the big names. It does. It does. And uh, we, they often use that phrase, paid practice. It's a bit more than that, I think, now. It's, it, we said before, it's prestige as a... Uh, well, I'm not sure what was prestige. It's standing has gone up, I think, in recent years, certainly in this decade anyway, um, partly to do with pandemic reasons. That famous event just after it, of course, it's always had a bit more of a, of a sort of name since then, I think. So that would be action uh, to enjoy over the coming days. Uh, we should move on, Phil, and say congratulations to Bultsu Revez, 
who has won a place on the World Snooker Tour for the next two seasons. The 17-year-old beat Gong Chenzi 5-3 in the final of the WSF Junior Championship in Albania to become Hungary's first ever main tour professional. Really lovely moment. Well, I've been aware of, of Buxu Revez for some time now, uh, certainly through the life of this podcast, also when I was editor of Snooker Scene. And he really has been a tremendous achiever in the amateur game, Phil. And it's brilliant to see him uh, make this uh, breakthrough. And he's the fourth winner of this event, following Gao Yang, Anton Kazakov and Stan Moody. I was looking at some of the scoring in the final. Revez going 3-1 ahead. Break of 113, frame three, at the highest of the event. Gong got back to 3-3. Sounds like a really big moment when Revez had a pink, mid-range pink to make it 4-2. He missed it, went 3-3. But then Revez picked himself up to win at 5-3. And he references that in the quotes, actually. He says, it's just amazing. I didn't expect anything before the tournament, but I felt like I was getting better and better. And before the final, I just knew I was going to win. I missed the pink to go 4-2 up. And so at 3-3, I was on the floor. I don't know how, but I won the seventh frame. Then I was back in the saddle again. I think I'm going to have so many messages because every Hungarian player was supporting me, which is a brilliant feeling. I hope everyone is so happy, and I hope this can inspire more players in Hungary. I've enjoyed playing since the age of eight, and I still love it. To stay on tour after the first two years is my first goal. To be in the top 64, I would have to play even better than I have this week, but I know I can do it. I'm looking forward to it. Great effort. I mean, making a break of 130 in any match is good, obviously, but... When you're in a final and there's so much at stake, that just shows so much, I think, about how talented this this young player is. So really, really exciting to see that. And uh, we offer our, our, our hearty congratulations, Phil. We'll be seeing him for the next two years on tour. Yeah, it's great to have another um, nationality on tour, I must say. I was sort of uh, slightly rooting for him there because that was an interesting story. Um, and yeah, like you said, we've sort of been aware of this name for a while. Um and he's now he's got the chance to shine. You know, coming through, be Oliver Sykes in the semis, and Sykes has been playing very well in a lot of amateur stuff this season. Uh, so that was very impressive. Um, I actually watched it from that sixth frame onwards on YouTube, oh. and uh, yeah, Revez was scoring very nicely before I started watching it, um, and it had got quite edgy by the time I turned it on. Um, and yeah, that missed pink because he'd actually played a couple of really nice shots to get to that, and then the pink was a bit easier. Um, so he did very well to. Um, sort of get back on the horse after that and then get over the line. Um, but yeah, Dong Zhenxi looks very good as well. He's 17. Uh, he got some um, good results, beat Liam Davis in the quarterfinals, which I feel like we've been speaking a while waiting for Liam to get on tour. And he, he certainly will at some point, but he's struggling to just get past that hurdle. Same with Boyko. I know he's been on tour, but he's been off again. He lost in the quarterfinals as well. Um, but yeah, looking forward to seeing uh, Revesh play. Uh, I think he's quite a confident uh, young character he, he should be interesting to have around um and he, he could well make big improvements even from this quite impressive stage already because i think he, he's not he's not been he's not moved over to the uk yet he's just been playing at home in hungary so it, not necessarily the best conditions or practice partners or chances to play in local tournaments or anything like that so when i i assume he'll be uh if not moving over here certainly spending a lot of time here and his game you know, could well improve significantly from there. So, yeah, exciting stuff and uh, uh, look forward to seeing him play more often. Yeah, definitely. And it's a bit of a lower key week, isn't it? I think 
between sort of main tour tournaments. We've got Championship League, but you might also want to watch the WSF Championship. I was just saying to you, I was just before we started uh, recording, flicked on a bit of action on Facebook, a lot of live action on there, another tour card up for grabs. And that will, event will continue and, until this Sunday. And you were saying an absolute mountain of players, an extraordinary number of groups in action there. So whoever comes through this will have done really, really bloody well. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. It's uh, I, I lost count, but it's hundreds of players in there. And uh, yeah, it's group A to Z, but then it starts again. It's like AA down to AO or something. Um, and a lot of names I don't recognise, of course, but plenty that do. Um Barry and Luke Pinch is in there. I know it's Tony Knowles having a go. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Boyko's in that as well, obviously. Friend of the podcast, Stephen Holworth, he's in there. Uh, Liam Davis having a go in that one as well. Uh, plenty more uh, recognisable names. Uh, Umut Dickmay, the German player, won one of the Q tours. He's getting a chance of getting through there. Robin McGuigan. I could I could go on, uh, but there's, there's lots of them. Um, and one player will earn themselves a two-year tour card on Sunday. It's the one that Mahai Long won. Last year in Australia, beat Stan Moody in the final after Stan had won the junior. Um, so, yeah, um, you're going to have to win a lot of matches and beat some very good players to come through. Um, so whoever does will be thoroughly deserving of their place on tour. Absolutely. As I say, you can see live action on there. I'm not sure if it's elsewhere. I've seen it on Facebook, certainly. And uh, very good quality on there. Very easy to, to flick on. So there's lots of snooker to watch in the coming days. And, of course, um, the... Uh, latest scores, results, you'll see from our, our good friends at snooker.org. Continues to be a brilliant service on there. And we move on. What's happening in Albania, uh, Phil? Yeah. We just had the Albanian Women's Open as well. And we say congratulations to Onyi, who beat Mink Nutcherat 4-3 in the final. A 19th ranking event for Onyi. Brilliant effort from the from the 33-year-old. And well, that was an exciting final. There seemed to be a lot, you know, a lot of exciting finals around. Maybe not in the uh, the German, but elsewhere. Onyi three 0 up, helped by a break of fifty two in in frame two. Mink then came storming back uh, to level at three three. And uh, just looking at the frame scores, they were pretty comfortable frame wins too. But then Onyi won the decider, seventy one points to nineteen, to get herself another title. And uh, yeah, she really is prolific. I mean, you wouldn't like to put a lot, lot of money on when Onyi play, plays Mink. Bill. You kind of expect it to go close. Mink made a real fight of it. Onyi got over the line. But yeah, 19th, 19th ranking title. That's just a, a brilliant effort. It's not bad, is it? Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, the ladies at the top of the, the women's game, there's not much between them, is there? You get a lot of close games between those guys. Um, and that was another one. Um, so yeah, well deserved. Yeah, like you said, everything's going on in Albania. Um, all those tournaments that, that the resort where it's been held looks amazing, and it's called Gollum, which I didn't know about. But I had a look on a map, and it's just across the Adriatic from sort of southern Italy. It looks it looks lovely on the coast there. So I hope everyone's had a nice time. Um, but yeah, no, fantastic for Anya. She's off tour um, this season, but she'll be looking to get back on, uh, and that will help. Um, it's the usual suspects, isn't it? At the back end of the women's tournaments by you Lou uh, in the semi-finals lost to Mink and Rebecca Kenner lost a close one to Anya that would have been a uh, a fine run for her and Rianne, Rianne in the quarterfinals she lost a close one to Anya as well so um, yeah we know who we're going to see at the, the latter stage of the women's events really but and there's not much between them so anyone who comes through and gets their hands on the trophy um, have done very well No you're right but I know, 
I noticed in the quarters and the semis that that that, that, that they're all they were all generally all pretty close actually. And um, just to fill you on a bit more on the, on the details of that, in, in, in the last eight, Bayou Lou beat by Pat Stripperporn three one. It was Mink three, uh, Anapuma Ramachandran one. That reference, that match you reference, Onyi beating Rianne Evans three two, and Rebecca Kenner three, Manian So two. And the semi-finals, yeah, really good again. Very, very uh, exciting. Certainly looking at the scoring. Mink four, Bayou Lu three. Bayou making a break of 90, the highest break of the tournament. But Mink edging to victory. And then Onyi four, Rebecca Kenner three. Rebecca was 2-0 up there, friend of the podcast, of course. Onyi came back for victory, making a break of 70 on the way. And then that final, Onyi four, Mink three. So, yes, another... Uh, tournament win on the board for the prolific uh, on Yi. So we've seen loads of uh, action on the table, Phil, uh, over the last week. Plenty to report on, plenty coming up, of course, as well. But uh, maybe we should move on now to, to correspondence, shall we, over an issue that um, I know has been uh, dominating uh, the snooker world in, in recent weeks. And that is, of course, the controversial news that there will be a, a tournament to come in Saudi Arabia, 10-player invitational tournament which we're expecting to lead to a ranking tournament uh, probably likely to be staged next season now and uh, well we had our say didn't we on the news in our last episode since then I've written my latest sporting life column on the same topic and I, in there I've, I've basically asked um, that when the, uh, the the mere hosting of an event causes this much disquiet among, uh, among fans of the sport is the whole venture really worth it that's a question that uh, that uh, certainly many are many are thinking about, and we we appreciate all the correspondence here, and certainly not all of it in support of us. But um, we'll go through it now. And we appreciate it. Um, Hugh Grant says thanks to Phil, Nick, to you both for the courage, honesty, and integrity you both demonstrated in providing your well considered, balanced views on the ethical issues associated with the upcoming Saudi Invitational event. You have further strengthened my admiration and respect for you. Uh, Robbie Noble here. Uh, it's been driving me crazy listening to others dance around the Saudi Arabia issue. The excuses I've heard from um, other sports are doing it and no countries are perfect is pathetic, especially when contrasted against the amnesty report you read out. Thank you for tackling it head on. John says, excellent just discussion from you both regarding the World Snooker Tour decision to host a tournament in Saudi Arabia the most balanced and well-constructed conversation I've heard regarding this from any snooker or sport podcast or journalist. Well done, gentlemen. Gary here. Uh, your podcast is simply the best. Uh, very kind of you. Uh, with your authenticity shining through all, all times, it never feels like you're compromising your views. I definitely feel uncomfortable about an event being in Saudi Arabia, and I agree with Phil that anybody saying that they are totally okay with this can't really have looked properly at the issues surrounding it. Thank you both, as always, for an es- essential listen. Tony Walsh says the best point made in your latest episode is asking those who are okay with this new event what their second reason is for justifying it apart from money. I doubt anybody could seriously answer that. Uh, The Green Bays. Uh, Well done, Nick Phil. Brilliant episode here on the moral dilemmas surrounding the upcoming tournament in Saudi Arabia. The snooker world has been sorely missing this type of analysis since the event was announced. But on the flip side, William Smith says, disagree entirely with the stance on Saudi. There's a Q Tour Americas coming soon. I'm looking forward to the same energy on the podcast condemning that. Is Guantanamo still open? Well, I think 
it's right to respond to, to, to those negative points. And I don't disagree that there are issues with America. Um, they have the death penalty in America, for goodness sake, which is something that I, I find repellent. And there are issues connected with human rights. No, most certainly, I mean, some of the policies of the Trump administration uh, to try and deal with issues on that country's southern borders were terrible. But I do think um, anyone comparing those those two nations is is being disingenuous. And I made a similar point in my column about those comparing the UK and Saudi Arabia. I mean, if you have a look at any human rights indexes, any freedom indexes from Amnesty or any similar organisation, Saudi Arabia is right down there with countries like Yemen, with Iraq, with Somalia, the USA, while it should be higher, is generally towards the other end of the table among the near 200 countries in the world. But I do take your point on board. Um, there are imperfections with the United States, most certainly. And um, whether whether we have a, a podcast looking at the issues in America, I will have to wait and see. But no, I think we, I'd, I'd like to think we cover that by saying that no country is perfect. And we're not, I don't think, you know, I, I'm certainly not coming from that position. I think there are levels. And I think, you know, just... Uh, some of the comparisons I've heard are a little bit disingenuous from my taste, but no, thank you for your point, William. We take it on board and on to the next. Yeah, Robert, um, too much politics on your latest episode. It's not the job of sport to solve complex issues over human rights. Please talk about snook again next week, uh, which we're not doing by reading out Robert's points. So I'm probably not happy there. But we did lead, didn't we? And, and the vast majority <laughs> of this episode is about snook and, and, and uh, you know, we generally, generally do, do, you know, generally always do that you know but sometimes things come along you have to you have to talk about them even though they are uncomfortable uh, Tar- I, I would say on that like um i get some people just hate politics stuff especially when it in, in uh invades things like sport which they don't like to uh they like to keep separate in their lives but you know with a subject like this you know we've done 150 odd of these things now and well, we had 20 minutes on a sort of political matter. I think I think that was uh, fair enough uh, to have a go at that. And, uh, you know, I was thinking uh, the other week when we spent sort of 20-odd minutes talking about whether Stephen Hendry had seen Bypass Syrupal and play a game of snooker mm. before. Mm. And no one was emailing saying that was a mad amount of time to spend it on that. But they will email saying, can you not talk about sort of enormous human rights issues in Saudi Arabia. You know, it's mad what how people's minds work. But, uh, yeah, no, we're not going to do politics every week. Don't worry about that. But you've got to do it sometimes. And I think added to that, and, yeah, good point about the 150-odd episodes. I was thinking, how many have we really – well, I like to think we've, on quite a few we, we've delved into serious issues, but how many times have we led with serious issues? I mean, the match fixing, did we do one or two on those, on that, maybe two, this – I mean, it's slim pickings, Phil. I have 150 episodes. I mean, this this podcast has been absolutely, completely dominated by on-table matters. And like I said last time, I I don't buy that thing about sport and politics not mixing. Never have done. They're both huge arenas. There's huge overlap. And the idea that they don't is is the most wishful thinking in my books that you can ever imagine. Um, Maybe in an an absolute idealistic world, yes, but that's not the world we live in. but also, just to say, and I wanted to say this at some time, I, I and we, I'm certainly speaking for myself, I'm not going to now reference this every time that we talk about the Saudi tournament, because that's also not appropriate. But I think there's going to be a balance as well. I don't also want to be 
you know, I, I mentioned Alan Shearer last time. I don't want to be Alan Shearer who, and, and never mention it again because that to, that to me feels a bit like sports washing. Actually, that ties in with the, the next question, I think, a little bit. Tarek here says, it's right you've highlighted human rights issues, but this one is for you, Nick. I'm curious if you've been as outspoken over other events. I remember you were at the Qatar World Cup. Qatar also has a terrible human rights record. Well, I think I was pretty outspoken about the World Cup, certainly on social media. I was having a good think about this over the last couple of days, and I, I'm not – I've written down here I'm not a big player in the football journalism world. I'm not really a player at all in, this, in the football journalism world. So you won't have seen or heard my view, certainly in, in any column or any podcast, because um, I just don't have those platforms. But I, I certainly was critical from the moment the World Cup went to Qatar – before I went there and after I went there, but I did have a check back. And this is what I did say on Twitter on December the 19th, 2022, the day after the World Cup final. And the tweet actually reads, you can look this up. uh, Let's be clear, whatever the boasts of FIFA president Gianni Infantino in recent days, not one bit of the shame and scandal of this tournament was taken away by the thrilling sport that we witnessed. And this is what I say in more detail in the piece. I say this, I was certainly wary as the tournament went on, there was more talk of the amazing quotes and beautiful quotes stadiums on TV, radio and in newspapers and less discussions about the migrant workers who died during the building of them. That's the very definition of what we call sports washing in our trade, isn't it? Sadly, it's pure human nature and we've seen the very same thing at home with Manchester City and Newcastle. There's been a great amount of distaste at first over the ownership of those two clubs. But much of that is soon clouded by talk about the actual teams, their league positions and trophy prospects. I thought Gary Lineker put it very well when he said the tournament was partly a success because it was football. And football, for all its faults, is basically compelling for millions of people. There was a genuine buzz going to Games 2 as fans from all corners of the world talked together in the international language of the game. But none of this should remotely lessen the concern over Qatar's human rights record. All the deaths of migrant workers, all the stench of corruption surrounding the award of this iconic sporting event to a small desert nation with no significant football tradition to speak of. So I did criticise the hosting of that World Cup many times, uh, Phil, and I may not have done enough of that uh, for some people, but um, in that case, sorry, I couldn't do it more, but I did do it. I have more of a platform in snooker. And you know what, Phil? I think some of those things that I said about the World Cup apply to a much lesser degree. I mean, we're not going to compare one snooker tournament to the World Cup, for heaven's sake. And I did have a couple of much, you know, people I really respect in my life and value their judgment saying that is the problem a little bit um, when, when you're questioning the quotes, unquote, smaller sports um, to take action when the biggest one of all is, uh, you know, is going to Saudi for a World Cup and what have you. I, don't, I, I half it. I kind of half accept that. I don't really think the thing, well, no one else is doing anything. Why should we? I don't really buy that. But I think you can take moral stands over all kinds of things. I was only reading Lewis Hamilton the other day, um, looking back at some of the sports people that have been to Saudi, saying how uncomfortable he, he felt. He still went there for a Grand Prix, but he came out and said how uncomfortable he was. You know, he didn't say nothing. So I think it is possible. But anyway, um, you know, I thank you for Tarek for that. And, you know, I, 
uh, I think what I'll come back to, Phil, is, you know, saying that I think those of us in the, in the snooker media have a duty to highlight these issues. And, um, you know, just speaking for myself, if I didn't do that, I would see it as a, as a dereliction of that duty. Yeah, I think it's weird. Some people have, uh, when they talk about journalists and this kind of thing, think that if they have any misgivings or uncomfortableness about it, then they shouldn't even like cover it, which is, is just not a thing. Like That is a very odd way of looking at it. Um, I think, you know, like Gary Neville at the World Cup was, so sort of, I think, quite rightly criticised because he was openly, openly against it, but then went and got paid by the state broadcaster. You know, that's one thing, um, which I think was a bit much from him and just stupid. Like, why does he need that to do that? Um, but, you know, just covering an event or a sport or something that you find uncomfortable is is just run of the mill. For you know, if everyone, if every journalist who found something comfortable just decided they wouldn't go and cover it, then you'd just have the people who love it and it would just be a PR exercise. So the idea that if someone doesn't like something, they should just not cover it is is not a thing. Um, and it would be very, very unhelpful if it was a thing. So, yeah, you know, people go and cover it. We'll, we'll be writing about this Saudi tournament despite having uh, misgivings about it, of course. Um, that's what happens in the media. You know, you it's like saying critics can't be critical of stuff. <laughs> You've got to write negative things. Um, and like I said, when we were speaking about it last week, um, yeah, that's what, that's what I'm interested to see, how the sport sort of acts over there. And if it's a big PR exercise and it's all like, oh, Saudi, Saudi's great, you know, his excellency has done this and that. Um, I, I, don't want, I don't want to see stuff like that. You know, let's go and have a tournament there. Okay. Um, but we, I, don't, I certainly won't be contributing to all that other stuff. That makes a lot of sense. And as I say, um, there's a balance to be struck. Uh, I will intend to strike the balance correctly. Whether I do it, whether I achieve that or not is another matter. I don't want to bang on about this all the time, but the same token, and like I am with Newcastle, again this last weekend, you know, I saw Newcastle fans, very laudable um, campaign they were getting behind about fans who are shafted, for want of a better word. Fans are treated dreadfully by football authorities. They, they The kickoffs are ridiculous. The, I mean, football's been promoting a, a green agenda recently. Then you sort of find that, you know, fans can't even get to games. And, you, you know, it, it's a laudable campaign, and I'm glad they're making it. But I, I just think they're putting more energy into, into games kicking off at the wrong time than they are their owners. And I think, well, that's just so mad. And I say this, if it was any of our, our biggest clubs, you know, City have long gone down that route, but if it was Liverpool, if it was Manchester United, if it was Arsenal, you know, the, these things have to be questioned because, you know, I say we're not cheerleaders, we're, we're journalists, and that, that's, that's our job. That's what we must do. That's what we need to do. But listen, Phil... We, we are grateful for that, that correspondence. Uh, if you'd like to send some, some more in, talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at, at talkingsnooker. And I'm not sure if you've got much else to say if, on that. If not, we'll move on to any, any other business, I think, sir. No, let's do it, yeah. And Well, Championship League continues, of course, in the coming days. Enjoy that. And the Welsh Open next Monday, getting underway. We'll look ahead to that in our next episode. So loads of uh, big events 
really exciting time of the year. We are working on that potential player guess, aren't we? For no promises, we're getting them to sign it in blood, which is always a bit of an awkward ask, but they, they tend to do it. But uh, yeah, really good action at the moment. Thick and fast coming up. I love the Welsh. We'll, we'll, we'll look forward to it more next time. But but always, a, you know, all the home nations are good now, but I think the Welsh have got that, that real history. And all being well, I'll be writing about that actually for Sporting Life in the coming days, saying just what a... A great stop in the seat in the season. I'm I'm very aware of some fans that I know. I said it before on here, but I think it's worth repeating. Some fans that I know that maybe we'll go to four or five events. Obviously, people people you know try and do what they can, and a lot of them will go to like say the Worlds, the UKs, or the Tour Championship in the UKs. But they'll make an effort of going to the Welsh. There's a real sense of sort of I want to be at that one. It's got such a you know, a, a strong history. But I think allied with that, the stories we've had recently, they just throws up the Welsh, doesn't it? So many, you know, surprise winners, emotional winners. I mean, bring Hanky along for that final, Phil, because, you know, the, <laughs> it's it's often so moving, isn't it, the Welsh? Whoever seems to win it, it's like, you know, it's uh, emotional stuff. So brilliant tournament. We'll look forward to that next time. And, um, yeah, if you want, I'll let you actually look about the Welsh now. Yeah, well, you, like you say, the last three years have been mad because you look back in the history and it's it's near enough all like real big hitters who won the Welsh, um, serious multiple champions, world champions mainly. Um, and then the last year, three years we've had Jordan Brown, Joe Perry, Rob Milkins. Um, fabulous players, of course, but not in that same big hitting category of all near enough all the previous winners. So it's become a bit of a wild card on the calendar. Um and those two have beaten some serious players as well. Brown beating O'Sullivan, Perry beating Trump, and Milkins beating Murphy. Um, just been a bit mad. So hopefully, I'd love to see a bit more madness this year. Um, but it's been great um, for so long. So yeah, um, another highlight on the snooker camp. Yeah, definitely. Indeed, you're right. I'm now looking back at those matches myself. That was uh, uh, in COVID, wasn't it? Behind closed doors, that Jordan Brown win, incredible win over Ronnie. What a week he had. He joined us on the pod, didn't he? Uh, and, and talked about that, uh, as did Joe Perry very soon after, wasn't it? Him beating Judd in that in that in that final of, of a couple of years ago, and his parents were there, and how wonderful that was! Emotional season. And Rob Milkins beating Sean Murphy, top final last year, nine uh, seven, and uh, of course it meant so much to Rob. Hasn't quite built on that. I think he told me recently that he's resting on his laurels a little bit since then. But that you know, nevertheless, that is a a, a massive win in his. In, in his snooker life. As you say, yeah, the roll call of winners going back right to the start, 92, Hendry, then Doherty, Davis, Mark Williams, Hendry again, the late Paul Hunter in, in 98, again for Paul in 02. And just, yeah, Ronnie starts coming to the scene and winning them. Uh, Ali Carter in 09, Ding in 12, Maguire winning it the year after in 13, Ronnie Higgins again, Stuart Bingham. And I remember that. Well, well, he beat Judd in, in the decider, 9-8. That was not long after he beat Judd in that brilliant crucible semi that I'll always rem- remember fondly being at. Neil Robertson getting on the act in, in, in 19, Murphy in 20. And as you say, those real surprise winners, Jordan Brown, Joe Perry and Robert Milkins. We look forward to that. And we tick round to just about nearly the hour mark. So uh, we call that bite size in, our, in, our, in the story of this pod, don't we, Phil? Um, you know, so um, I think we're going to sign off now. Back... Um, not that many days from now, because we, we want to give a, 
you know, a chance for people to, to, to digest what we said about the Welsh and kind of uh, get as much value out, out of it as possible. But uh, I appreciate your company, really enjoyed it. And, and uh, yeah, we, we must have maybe start to finish where we ended type type thing and um, finish where we started rather than talk Judd Trump. Uh, just having the most extraordinary season, isn't he, really? To win uh, those three in a row is something else, to back that up. And what else I think about it is, even the ones he's not winning, he's doing well in. He got to a UK semi, that recent finally lost to Ronnie. I think it was in the final back in the autumn, wasn't he, as well? Certainly the very start of the season. He's just showing consistency. It's not one of those you get often get over the years, oh, he's won the load, but you know the other ones, he's not getting close. He's getting close in all of them. Yeah, yeah definitely. And he'll, he'll want to do well in the Welsh as well. That's one he's not won. Um, oh. A little bit surprising, really, the amount of tournaments he's racked up. Um, lost a couple of finals. Um, so he'll be very motivated to keep this run of form going. Um, and we're not sure yet, but we're not expecting Ronnie O'Sullivan to be playing the Welsh, I don't think, as he continues his uh, short break from the game. So um, if the season is anything to go by so far, if Ronnie's not going to win it, Judd may well win it. So uh, he'll fancy his chances. Quick on before we go as well, proof, if proof we need be, it's never too late in a podcast episode to say things you, sh- you should have said earlier. Should have said a few weeks ago. I promised Kelly Barker, uh, uh, didn't I? And uh, being a completionist, I don't, I don't think I ever ever read it out. I'll praise what what she was saying basically when she emailed us a few weeks ago was she thought it was a, a bit of a rum do, frankly, that Mink won the event, the Belgium ladies event on Sunday evening, and then was playing in the World Open qualifiers at ten a.m. the next morning in Barnsley. Uh, surely hers and Rebecca Kenner's matches could have been moved for the next day. Uh, I saw on social media that Rebecca got home at 3am. Uh, World Snooker are doing great things to try and grow the ladies' game, but this seemed uh, harsh to say the least. Yeah, I don't disagree. Scheduling issues um, can be uh, can be problematic, I think, on the, every level of the game, and sometimes they fall into a bit of the first world problem, but that was a bit of a, <laughs> a harsh turnaround, actually, so I'll take that on board. Thank you for that, Kelly. And uh, I think we, we might as well shoot off now. I salute you and say... Sir, I'll see you next time and uh, have a great week. Yeah, you too. Pleasure as always. Thanks, everyone, for listening and speak to you soon. Keep your thoughts coming on any snooker matter, that event in Saudi or indeed any others. Uh, got got your email as well, Scott McCarter, on, 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 on Judge Form this season. Thank you for that. Really wise thoughts. We'll try and read that out next time. Uh, but uh, that's about it for now, then, from this latest episode of Talking Snooker. We appreciate your company. And uh, from your old friends, Phil Haig, and Nick Metcalf. Cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.